welcome to the First Lutheran Church located at 512 South Kale Avenue in Miles City with pastoral services provided by Pastor Steve Rice. Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 14th chapter. Luke writes, Now large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down and first consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If he cannot, then while the other is still far away, sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So, therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Do you see where my thoughts were coming from at the opening? Boy, if I were Luke, that would be one that I could have omitted. And I could find all kinds of good reasons, I'm sure, to have done it. You know, brevity or um, such as that. But there it sits. And when it's in the lectionary, it says to the preacher, you have to take this on. Okay? And so trying to figure out how to do just that. Let me begin with something that appears totally unrelated, uh, but uh, which for me came to mind. And in my mind, as an old man, as Paul uh, refers to himself now, my mind went back to when I was uh, considerably younger and the father of young children myself. And I recall, and I'm sure Noel does too, that night when the bleeding child was wiggling and squirming and looked suspiciously at the masked suture tech in the emergency room of Children's Hospital. For you see, an evening's fun had ended in a trip to the ER for our family. That stranger was holding a syringe in a gloved hand, and as he approached, the 10-year-old asked, Will that hurt? Yes was the one word but honest answer. And after just the shortest of pauses to let the truth sink in, the man was accustomed to caring for children, added, but just a little bit, and after the stick, you won't feel anything else. So it was. 
The needle's initial pricks took place, as we all knew, perhaps to the, not so to the young child in his innocence, but we knew that those pains were inflicted in order to eliminate what would have been much greater and prolonged pain while cleaning and then suturing a tortilla-shaped and sized wound on the child's small inner forearm. Well, Luke has just described for us a scene wherein large crowds were not only attracted to Jesus, but were told traveling with Jesus. Beyond the twelve, we now know that there seems to have existed this ever-growing cohort, number of people that were drawn to Jesus, but it becomes increasingly apparent not understanding the implications of being a disciple. And John explains that to us uh, in his gospel rather well. Jesus says to the multitude, you looked for me because you got your fill of bread, not because you understood the miracles. In a scene placed just before this little lesson that we read today, someone from the crowd had even shouted out, Blessed is anyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And those words in Luke's gospel seem to have led Jesus to tell, as he so often did, a parable to teach. That teaching moment centered upon many who were invited to a great feast only in the last moment to find excuses for not actually attending the banquet, choosing instead to attend attend to their own varied interests. Their lack of commitment in this particular parable then led the master of the feast to direct his servants to go out and invite others on the streets into the banquet. And those who were formerly not deemed worthy were, by the grace of that host, now to be welcomed to the table. Those first invited, they would be excluded, while the newly invited experience unprecedented honor. Then, in the sequence of events in Luke's gospel comes today's reading. And yes, it rings harsh uh, in the ear. Stylistically, it reads to me a lot like hyperbole, as it conjures up its disquieting imagery. Recognize that hyperbole, like a parable, is sound literary technique and teaching technique. Hyperbole employs an intentional overstatement for effect or to get the attention of the otherwise inattentive. To a pressing crowd of opportunists, camp followers, the casually curious. Jesus' words here must have been like a thunderclap, disabusing the traveling multitude of any notice that they may be coming up with that this journey that Jesus was upon was going to be a broad road or an easy path to follow. And so the words, whoever does not hate father and mother, wife and child, could hardly go unnoticed. None of you can be my disciple unless you give up all your possessions. Could hardly go unnoticed. 
Should the following crowd want to travel the way of discipleship? Jesus wanted them to consider the cost as might a king before going out to war. For Jesus understood that discipleship would come at a price. Discipleship should come with a price. Why? Because discipleship makes one different. And then as now, powerful, and here's a word I just learned not so long ago from the, from the uh, uh, borrowing something from the Twitter world, powerful influencers do not welcome those who refuse to be influenced. Faithfulness and commitment to any relationship has consequences, as you all know. Jesus' words, of course, prove prophetic. God's grace wasn't and never has been cheap grace, easy grace, but costly. If grace costs the Father the experience of witnessing the suffering and death of the Son, why would disciples expect their experience to be otherwise? Jesus wanted to make sure that this surging crowd would understand what they were getting themselves into, what they were committing themselves to. It has been said that Jesus went to the cross ahead of, but not instead of, his followers. But you see, by his suffering, by the cross, by Jesus' suffering, he forever sanctified a word we don't use very much, he forever sanctified, that is, made precious in the sight of God, the suffering of those who bear their crosses and seek a path of discipleship in his name. What I found to be the most uh, important words of this lesson, the most telling words, at least for me, uh, were when Jesus said, whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Simply put, no cross, no discipleship. The cross was not for Jesus Christ one option among many. The cross to Jesus Christ was the only option. And thus it is a theology of the cross. Blaine, you've doubtless come across that in your studies. The theology of the cross is a profoundly Lutheran concept. You want to know what makes our movement different from others. It's the cross of Christ, as the hymn says, in which we glory. Yet, as we survey the landscape of the church, how often has the church succumbed to the siren song of the promised crown without its prerequisite cross. Okay? You don't have to look hard to find those who will preach a gospel promising the crown of glory. You can have it all. And we won't mention the embarrassment, the scandal, 
the cross. We live in such days, and I think most susceptible to this frankly heretical perspective on faith are those myopic few who believe themselves to be so special that the collective experience of Christians throughout ages and around the world somehow ought not apply to them. Talk of sacrifice, well, triggers them in our day and age. And this peril, I think, is really easy to identify in certain precincts of the contemporary church. Uh, American and European thought, in particular, seems to run in that direction. Not so in Africa. Not so in the Middle East. Not so in Central and South America. But it's contemporary American and European thought that, that wants the crown without the cross. Consider this easy to find response. When scripture conflicts with personal preference, or when perceived needs are not immediately met, a prevailing response is that the church's understanding ought to, indeed has to change. Such reinterpretation of the gospel often wants someone else to bear the cross while allowing those in the crowd to own only the crown. Jesus Christ chose a different way. Jesus chose to place another of Jesus' parables, I'm sorry, Luke chose to place another of Jesus' parables uh, after today's lesson, and I think it helps to uh, give us a fuller picture of what's going on. And that parable has been labeled the rich man and Lazarus. You may know it. In it, the disparity between the rich and the desperately poor is used by our Lord as a foil to teach. And as the parable unfolds, two men die and find themselves in very different circumstances. Poor Lazarus is comforted in the bosom of Abraham, while the rich man found himself tormented in the depths of hell. And we're told that the rich man could see Lazarus uh, there with Abraham being comforted from afar, but they could not reach one another. And predictably, the rich man expected Abraham would, as it's always been, send young old Lazarus down here with water to cool me. For it seems even in death, the rich man continued to feel entitled. But Abraham reminded the rich man that in life, he had received what he wanted, and among his priorities, poor Lazarus never appeared. So then the rich man changes tack a bit. He says, he begs Abraham to send word somehow to his, of his spiritual faith into his father's house, because he has five brothers, and he does not want them to suffer as he is suffering. But uh, Father Abraham demurs, he says, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. And then in this last effort, this last attempt, the man begs, but you know, if someone goes to them from the dead, they'll repent. No, says Abraham. If they don't listen to Moses or the prophets, they will not listen even if 
one should rise from the dead. Now, remember that by this time that Luke writes this gospel, Jesus Christ uh, had risen from the dead, and yet there were those who would still not listen to his gospel, but only to their own passions, to their own self-interests, to their own agenda. And some things, as they say, never change. Even before Luke wrote this uh, interesting part of the gospel, no less sophisticated mind than Paul of Tarsus, St. Paul, could see this exact parable, or exact peril, to the church. And he wrote of it when he wrote to Timothy, his young understudy. Paul writes to Timothy, I solemnly urge you, proclaim the message, be persistent, whether the time is favorable or unfavorable, convince, rebuke, encourage, with utmost patience and teaching, for the time is coming, Paul writes, <laughs> When people will not put up with sound doctrine, but having itching ears, will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own desires, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander away into myths. And the myths have just kept on coming for 2,000 years. And the church must continue to be patient in its teaching, unyielding in its truth, because, you see, everyone does not get to choose their own truth, as we are being told in this generation. You do not get to choose your own truth, for then as now, Paul could foresee that teachers and doctrine would be chosen to accommodate what people wanted to hear, rather than what has been said, what is eternally true. And so I think one takeaway from today's difficult-to-hear lesson is in part, if you want to be Christ's disciple, consider the cost based upon what has been given, written, and said. The cost of discipleship was, is, and remains a cross. I do not know the name of your cross, but you do. You will certainly know it when it's laid upon your shoulders. The question is, will you bear that cross? If you choose to bear it, do it faithfully or reject it. But do not redefine what God has given through the gospel. For to redefine the gospel then begs the question, based upon what? Based upon what? Paul again pushed back against those, this time in the Corinthian congregation, very in love with knowledge. He pushed back against them, those who would compromise the gospel by basing their relationship with God on wisdom rather than on Jesus Christ and him crucified. Writing, no one can lay any other foundation than the one that has been laid, 
And that foundation is Jesus Christ. And so as we conclude, yes, discipleship is a costly thing. It's a costly challenge. It is the very nature of the cross and the price of claiming Christ's cross as your own. Yet as we know, sometimes pain precedes. Pain can accompany healing. Not just physical pain, but emotional pain and spiritual pain as well. To that great church in Corinth, Paul wrote the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Jews demand signs, Paul writes, and Greeks want wisdom. But we proclaim Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God. Well, I'm now an old man as Paul was, and I observe that all that remains this day of that long ago trip to the emergency room is a faded scar and wisdom born of both pain and experience. An interesting story, now for no longer a child, but a grown man to tell his own children, as perhaps one ought not, while playing hide-and-seek in the dark, try to vault a chain-link fence. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this production of the First Lutheran Church. We welcome you to visit us in person at 512 Kale Avenue. You can also find us on Facebook at First Lutheran Church, Miles City, Montana, and email us at flc at midrivers.com.